Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Friday, January the 12th, in the year of our Lord, 2024. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we always like to talk about the distinctions between law and gospel. And one of the most important questions that is asked is, how can you be certain that there is a God? Now, you may have friends, uh, relatives, neighbors, who are not sure there is a God. They may be agnostic. They may be atheists. So we're going to be talking about that today. By the way, my email address is tombaker at brick.net. That's B-R-I-C-K dot net. And I certainly appreciate those who are uh, sending checks to Law and Gospel, and you can get the address to send them to at the end of the program. So, in Dr. Soyce's book, Horton Hears a Who, Horton the Elephant is challenged by the kangaroo over the possibility of life on a tiny speck of dust. Annoyed at Horton's insistence that such things exist, the kangaroo declares, if you can't see, hear, or feel something, it doesn't exist. And yet Horton remains certain that such tiny things do exist. Certainty can be a funny thing. You know, not that long ago, centuries ago, people would get sick and they had no idea about what flu was or what antidote to take, or what a virus was. These things are so small. It's really quite amazing how well the FBI, for example, in their programs, finds out who did the crime by using great microscopes, etc., to find out where there is blood, what kind of blood, DNA of blood. In fact, as we all know, uh, someone recently who had killed some students at a university was found because he had left the knife holder at the place and they were able to get his DNA off of it, and they were able to trace the DNA to his father. And in that way, they found out what family he belonged to. So certainty does exist. But you can ask someone like Karl Popper. He's generally regarded 
as one of the greatest science philosophers of the 20th century. In an interview he gave to Scientific American before his death, he was known for his intense attacks against dogmatism. He went so far as to say, scientific certainty does not exist, which of course raises eyebrows among those who think that science is the only vehicle providing us with certainty about anything. But take a look at your high school teaching. When does water boil? It boils either at 100 degrees centigrade or 212 degrees Fahrenheit. But that's only if you are on the level of Earth that is the sea level. There are cookbooks that change the temperature if you're cooking up on a mountain. Let's say you're taking a tour, go high on a mountain, and you want to have lunch, and you want to heat it. Well, the temperature would be more in order to get water to boil. So when Popper says you can't have certainty with science, does he mean that absolute truth does not exist? No, 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 no. The article records Popper saying, like the logical positions before him, he believed that a scientific theory can be absolutely true. In fact, he had no doubt that some current theories are true, but he rejected the position and the positive belief that we can ever know that a theory is true because we must distinguish between truth, which is objective and absolute, and certainty, which is subjective. So when you read Genesis chapter 1, boy, that sure sounds kind of mythical about how God created the whole universe in six 24 hours day. But is your cert certainty a subjective thing? See, psychologists and philosophers will tell you that there are two types of certainty. We have epistemic certainty, which equates to something having the highest possible status regarding knowledge. And then there is psychological certainty where you and I are supremely convinced of a truth, even though what we believe 
may be false. And it's that latter psychological certainty that Popper is referring to. It's also the type of certainty that Christians are accused of having because they don't have any backing of the former certainty by those who contend God doesn't exist. This leads to the million-dollar question of whether we can have both kinds of certainty about God himself. Prove it. Professor Paul Copan, C-O-P-A-N, was once confronted by a student who demanded, prove to me that God exists. How did Copan reply? He asked the student, what would you take as an acceptable level of proof? Well, at that time, the student assumed a deer in the headlight pose because he had never thought about what would be a satisfactory evidence for God's existence. See, we as Christians believe God exists because of the word we find in the Bible. God begins at the very beginning of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the first three verses of Genesis talk about the Holy Trinity. God the Father creating the world, the Holy Spirit presiding above the waters, and God, the third person of the Trinity, saying, let there be light. But if you are an agnostic or an atheist, what would it take to give you proof that God exists if you don't believe the Bible? Whether it's God or anything else, having knowledge and arriving at a conclusion about something involves forming a belief based on truth. And simply to say, that's sometimes hard to do. I would fool around with my children when they were really young, like one, two, or three years old. I would put my back up against a light switch and I would point to the ceiling and show them that there was a light on. And then I say, well, listen to this. And I would say, light, go out. And I would move my back down the light switch and the light would go out. They believed I had the power to turn the light on and to turn the light off simply by giving it a command. Now, by the way, with today's computers, 
that can happen. You can speak to certain speakers you have in your house now. Turn lights on, turn a radio on, turn a television on, turn to the right station, do all kinds of things. What with a computer. In fact, you can even cut your grass while you're sitting in a chair watching the grass cutter going around the lawn. So believing in God is simple to say, but it's impossible to get someone to do it if they do not have faith in Scripture. It's normal for skeptics to think that they have the higher ground in this matter, whereas in reality, the atheist, the agnostic, and God-believer all make claims with those assertions requiring justification and each bearing the burden of proof. In other words, the playing field is truly leveled where the God or no God debate is concerned. So again, that being the case, is it possible to have valid certainty and psychological certainty about God? Well, my answer is yes. But it requires some honest admissions up front. First of all, let's remember that the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. You understand what I mean? It's possible that God can exist even if evidence for him was non-existent in the minds of atheists or agnostics. Although this would not be the most reasonable position to assume. Uh, the Bible makes clear that you can hardly look at the creation of the world and not believe that there is some kind of force behind that creation. Even when you think that evolution is possible, there are many Christians who believe in evolution, thinking that that is how God created the world over millions and millions of years. It's hard to disagree with Pascal, who said, people invariably arrive at their beliefs not on the basis of evidence, but on the basis of what they find attractive. Boy, I want to say that again, that many people believe what is true because it is attractive to them not because they have any evidence. 
We're seeing that in our country today, where people are believing in immorality on many fronts, abortion, homosexuality, suicide, etc. And they believe all those things are true, that you can do them. Why? Because they don't have certainty of evidence, but they have a psychological feeling because it is attractive to them. See, that's the difference between law and gospel. People who think they're going to be saved by obeying the law think that because that's attractive to them. They take a look at the rest of their world and they see that they get ahead by doing certain good works. They get ahead in school by going to the next grade because they pass tests. They get ahead in marriage because they're very nice to a spouse prior to the marriage. Uh, They get ahead in work because they work hard, do good things, and they therefore get promoted. And they all think that that is the attractive way of living. But such a sword is double-edged, where belief in God and atheism is concerned. Both can hold beliefs because they like what their worldview teaches, not what is certain. And this is why we confess our sins. Because when you do a sin, guess what you're believing? You're believing what is attractive to you. You're believing what your worldview in your natural sinful state thinks is proper and correct. And so when somebody comes and tells you that you're sinning, this makes you angry. Who are you to judge me? Because what I believe is what I believe is attractive to me. This is the big difference between law and gospel. The law as a way of salvation is attractive to many people because it assumes that's how they get ahead in the world. But when you receive faith by the Holy Spirit, what becomes attractive to you now is the word of God and his commandments take precedence over what is attractive to you. Now, some people will say, well, we only know in part what we do know, what we have. But that is enough to reasonably believe in the God of the Bible? 
there's no doubt that the Bible makes it clear that you can freely view the truths of God's word. Through faith, we have good evidence for God. So why are there atheists? It's because in addition to certain and psychological certainty, there is a third dimension to assurance when it comes to accepting truth about God. It's why the Bible says there are those who are always learning and at times never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, we saw that in Athens, where people were learning all about philosophy. And then Paul came to teach about the resurrection and the death of Jesus Christ. That was something new that nobody have been able to invent in their minds. So the truth of Scripture is really when you receive the love of God in order to be saved. That's what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. You see, it's not just the truth that we believe, but the love of the truth. That's what a sermon is about. You may come to church depressed. Things aren't going well in your life. But as you listen closely to the liturgy, to the sermon, receive the body and blood of Christ, there is a change in your attitude. Not because you're sure that this is true, but because you love the truth, as John 3.16 so clearly says, for God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave his only begotten son. You see, the sad reality is that human beings are born into a natural state of rejection and rebellion against God and his truth. It's why scripture says, a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. So with this third dimension to certainty about God malfunctioning in us, we're unable to achieve the state of, rece of receiving the love of the truth and teaching a state 
of rightly acknowledging the Creator, His creation, and His place in our life. And yet, in the end, the Bible declares, everyone knows God is real. Listen to Romans 1, 19 and 20. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creating of the world with invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Understanding this leads to the reason why Pascal's statement is important. It highlights the critical distinction between assenting to truth and consenting to it. You see, you can acknowledge truth whatever subjecting yourself to it. And that was the task of John the Baptist, not only to acknowledge the truth about God's love for you, but to follow his commands, to follow his will, because that is a heavenly salvation. Paul's declaration in Romans is why the skeptics think the Christians are hard about needing faith. There is an important difference between faith that is versus faith in. The latter is all about trust and fidelity that oftentimes is outside the bonds of our physical, philosophical, empirical, and historical verification. Whereas the former is open to all three. In other words, we are certain about God because of the faith given to us by the Holy Spirit. Be with us to listen to more Law and Gospel in the coming weeks. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. 
We are the messenger of good news worldwide KFUO.